This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Today, we're going to ask a seemingly innocuous question. We're going to ask a question that typically we have an answer ready for, right? It's the basis of our introductions when we meet someone new. And this is the question, who am I? Who are you? We typically have this picture in our head that we set up uh, that that we can explain ourselves in two or three sentences uh, pretty well to someone who asks. We tell people about our interests, about our relationships, uh, about those things that we understand that make us unique, that help people identify who we are. So you might say, uh, in fact, uh, I, I, I did this once, you know, you, you have that little blog, uh, the thing up at the top of the blog or the top of the social media where it says, uh, hey, tell us about yourself. And so I, I had an answer for that. I was, um, let's see if I can remember it all. Uh, I was a, a husband, father, teacher, friend. And that was my, that was how I, I laid it out. That's how I identified myself. Uh, at some point in time, I came to realize that um, my, the order was interesting and it affected my friendships because my order was husband, father, teacher, friend. And so many times I thought it more important to be a teacher than to be a friend, to uh to share my understanding and my knowledge with people than to share my life with people. And I don't remember how long ago it was, but I, I noticed that little switch. Uh, maybe three, four, five years ago, I noticed the order was off. And I noticed not just that, oh, hey, look, I've defined myself and, and I, I got it out of order. Not just in the words. I found, found that by putting it wrong in the words... By flipping that order of importance in the words, it affected the way that I lived out my life. But the way that I defined myself and identified myself, just as simple as on uh, the the head of a, a Twitter uh, page, right? Just something completely inconsequential had immense consequence in the way that I interacted with those around me. And I, I recognized the error of that. And, uh, and so I switched the words and I paid very careful attention to my relationships from that point on because it, I, I had put such a high value on how I perceived my knowledge and how I perceived my role of handing that on that I lost the value and the dignity of the people I was interacting with. And this is the power of how we identify ourselves. And so we're going to talk about this today. Now, on the other side of that question, who are you? This is something that I, I want to know in a practical way as well. Uh, those Many of you I've had the pleasure of meeting and interacting with, but there are lots of you out there that, um, that you hear the show and maybe you listen to every single week, but we have never had a conversation. And so I want to invite you over to my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter the handle is at Outside the Walls. Come tell me something about yourself. What do you see as a defining characteristic of your life? And here's the thing about definition or defining characteristics. Uh, a definition, by definition, 
excludes other options, right? Uh, for me to say that uh, the, the little piece of sound equipment in front of me has red letters on it, it excludes every other kind of piece of sound equipment that might have other color, colored letters on it. Uh, it. The definition talks about the thing that is unique in that, that sets it apart, that makes it what it is, the isness of the thing. Uh, and so take a moment and think about what is it that makes you, you. And this pandemic has given us all ample opportunity to really sit down and have a, a good think on that idea. What is it that makes me, me? And the reason the pandemic has helped with that is because many of the things that we as a society have elevated in importance have been taken away from us, right? The, the activity that pe people have often found identity through, all this activity uh, has kind of come to a grinding halt. For many people uh, who found identity in their jobs, well, they're either working from home or they are furloughed or they've lost their job, uh, or in some way, that, that key component of how they viewed themselves disappeared. And so now we have this opportunity, we have this crisis of who we are, and we have to uh, evaluate who we're going to be moving forward. And I think that this question for identity is really important today because we're on the cusp of being able to re-enter society, right? We're just about to see, hopefully, Lord willing, as we pray for an end to this pandemic, uh, we're just about to see some activity return and the wheels begin spinning, moving us back toward a trajectory that puts us toward the status quo. So now is a really important time for us to take a moment and step back and think and identify who it is we want to be from this point on. We've had this identity, this, uh, this picture we've drawn of ourselves that defines us and sets us apart and makes us who we are. And the question is, is that picture adequate? Is that picture that we have put out for the world to see, is it really the complete picture or have we been missing some critical component of who we were called to be uh, by using the picture instead that we have defined? Are we missing the greater good for some smaller good? Well, this is who I am, and this is just who I'm going to be, and that precludes this other thing, right? Well, have we chosen the right path? And so this is the opportunity for us to sit down and say, okay, this is who I perceived myself to be before the pandemic. For me, it would have been that that husband, father, teacher, friend. And is that an adequate picture of who I want to be? So think about that. What, how would you describe yourself before we all got locked down? And is that picture, and when you think about not just next week or five years from now, but when you think about eternity, when you think about the things that people will say about you after you have died, is that definition of yourself that you held before quarantine, is that who you want to be? Because now is our opportunity to say, I'm going to take those four words and I'm going to reorder them. And I'm going to look at my life through this reprioritization of these terms, through this, 
this reimagining of that central part of my identity. And I'm going to see what shakes out on the other end. Most of the time, the only way that we can have these moments uh, that shake us from our status quo is through a, a time of suffering. Uh, so we have this opportunity to not let this suffering go to waste, but to use it for the purpose of redefining who we are individually, who we are as a family, who we are as a parish community, who we are as a church in the midst of this world. And not to let these gears take us back to the status quo we had before with all of the things that frustrated us about our lives, but to enter into this new reality with with um, excitement. So for instance, I, I have long said, you know what? I, ha- I watch too much TV. I don't want to do TV anymore. And yet it, the gravity of that was such that it was really hard to, uh, to shake that. Well, I'll tell you what, in the middle of this, uh, in this pandemic, that was one of the first things to go. I've had the opportunity to redefine what my day is going to look like. And one of the things I love about that is um, one of the things that my day looks like now is morning prayer and Compline every day. And as I get more comfortable with that, I, I know and I plan to add some of the other hours from the Liturgy of the Hours. And I've had the great pleasure of, uh, of interacting with many of you there on Facebook Live as I go, and I do that with uh, a number of you. And I want to invite, the re- if you've not done that yet, if you want to maybe strike out in a new direction— I want to encourage you to come and pray either morning prayer or Compline or both with me over on Facebook Live. Those happen at 8 a.m. every morning, 8 a.m. Central. And again, the Compline is at 11 p.m. Central. It's a little bit late uh, for y'all, but it's about right for me. I've got the kids down to bed by then. So uh, come and be a part of that. Let's join together in community, even if it's at a great distance, even if it's an online community. And let's strike out in this new direction together. Well, today is all about identity. And so to have this conversation, we're going to be talking with Joe Hashmeyer. Joe is uh, probably my most often returning guest. He's been on the show, I think today is his 15th appearance. And it's because I have such a great time every time Joe comes around. You can find a number of his articles where he blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. You can find him at cathpod.com where he has conversations about the Catholic faith in a podcast format. Uh, if you happen to find yourself in, in the area of Kansas City, he's also an instructor for Holy Family School of Faith. But if none of those are quite long form enough for you, well, good news. Joe Heschmeyer's got a brand new book coming out uh, next month on Our Sunday Visitor. You can get it now in the ebook format called Who Am I, Lord? Finding Your Identity in Christ. This is going to be a fantastic book. I've read just a little bit of it that he's posted on shamelesspopery.com to entice you. It will do its job. Uh, and uh, Joe, thanks for being here. Yeah, I, you know, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about the book. Man, I, I seem to catch you at um, at the milestones, right? I think the first time I had you on, you had just gone to Rome, uh, and and we luckily had the opportunity to to talk with you throughout the years that you were there in uh, at the North American College. Um, I, I got you right after you came back and discerned out of of seminary. And I again, I said it then. I'll say it again. Uh, I love it when someone discerns well and you can discern well and discern out. So props to you for that. 
we talked shortly after you got married. And, uh, and then last time we talked was uh, November. So shortly before uh, you had a daughter. Uh, so now you're a dad. You've got, you have a new identity. Uh, and of Today course, is her six month birthday. Ah. Or a half birthday. I don't know right. what to call it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, people call it different things. Uh, I call it, um, I didn't even know that that was a thing, except for, you know, <laughs> a very merry end birthday to you, right? So uh, here you are as a new dad and um, just put your your lovely darling child down. And we always on Facebook and social media, we show the, the beautiful pictures of our children. Uh, but what we don't show social media is the, the bags under the eyes and the sleep exhaustion. The other thing we don't show, and this I think touches on our, our conversation today, is there is something about being a parent, uh, specifically a new parent, that, um, that kind of breaks the brain in terms not of uh, sleep deprivation and who is this child and how am I supposed to do this, although those are all real things, uh, but also, oh, this is what it means when it says that God is a father. This is what it means when it talks about his care for us. This is what it's, I thought I understood, but man, this is what it means. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So there's this line where St. Paul says, I bend the knee before God the Father, mm-hmm. from whom all, the word there is patria, which means either family or fatherhood. In heaven and on earth derives its name. And what's cool about that, Aquinas talks about this, that there are some terms we have for God um, that are primarily earthly things that are divine by analogy. So, for instance, when we call Christ the Lion of Judah, well, a lion is more truly a lion than God is. Mm-hmm. But there are other terms where God possesses the term more fully and we possess it by analogy. So, for instance, when we say that God is good, good describes God in an infinitely perfect way. That when we use it to describe a human person, we're using the term pretty loosely, right? Like if, if what we mean by good in the purest, fullest, infinite sense of the term is God, when we say, well, he's a jolly good fellow, he's not that jolly good in the infinite (laughs) sense, right? which it's fine. Like we, we use terms analogously, but what's remarkable is that Aquinas can look at this, this verse from St. Paul and say, fatherhood's like good it's not like lion like Mm -hmm. fatherhood is something that god possesses infinitely and perfectly in every earthly father this means both priests as well as biological fathers we're just playing the game like we are we are very imperfectly uh, images of something that is perfectly manifested in god and that's a powerful witness to get to do that to help show what a loving father looks like uh to a baby it's also uh, terrifying, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, here's the part that I'm kind of like God and loving my daughter. And then it's like, over here is the massive part that we're more unlike than alike. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's a good reminder. But like you said, it's not just that I get to witness the love of God the Father to her. I get to now receive the love of God in a profound new way because I have a new frame of reference to understand it. Um, yeah. So let's go back. Something that you said there is, is analogous and reminiscent of something that you bring up in the book. And it's this, that you don't know how to act 
until you know who you are. And so this, as you're talking about um, coming to understand fatherhood from the father through whom all fatherhood is named, now all of a sudden you can say, I am father in the same vein that he is father, even if I am uh, different, not so much in in kind, but in, in quantity and quality, right? Um, so now I have a measuring stick and a, uh, a, well, let's put it this way. Now I have a cornerstone from which to build a square uh, uh, and a stable house, right? Uh, I can now build my own fatherhood starting from this uh, this rule uh, and this um, this what's the criteria. And so if I take, for instance, my, uh, my own father, or if I take um, a father on television that I really enjoyed, or if I take some other father as the, uh, as the basis for my own fatherhood, um, <laughs> if I take Calvin's dad, because, you know, I mean, if we're going to pick uh, a father as close as possible to, uh, to comedic perfection, that would be it. Uh, we take the the dad from Calvin and Hobbes and we say, I'm going to be that kind of dad. Well, we have a rule and we know now how to behave because of the way we have defined our identity, uh, which is going to be very different than if we do that by looking first to God the Father. Yeah, so I, I actually, I like something you did there partway through mm-hmm. where you briefly switched the analogy you were using. Because I think they're they're both... Both analogies that you just gave, the measuring stick and the cornerstone, uh, get to this truth. But I think the second one, that of the cornerstone, hits on a dimension that we often really overlook. So, yeah, if I know what it is for God to be father, um, if I understand these divine identities, then I can I have something to compare my own. You know, if Christ says these things, if, if I have loved you, you must love one another. Like he's making that pretty clear. He's mm-hmm. he's saying, I set a model for you. Now go and do likewise. We get this with the what's called the mandatum, with the washing of the feet. Right. Um, he does this several times, right? So there's that. But but if it was just that, that would be terrible. Like imagine the you know Pavarotti gets up and sings a song and says, "Okay, you heard me do it. Now you do it." I have something to aspire to, right? Right. Like that is not at all uh, (laughs) inspiring. Like that is really overwhelming and really defeating. And I think you hear that from Christians a lot, that they can become so overwhelmed with their own sinfulness, their own inadequacy, all the ways that they're singing off key to to use the analogy, Mm -hmm. all the ways they're not measuring up to the perfect measuring stick. And if you just leave it there, that's not good news. Like that's just like, if you walked into somebody's job and said, hey, you could be doing your job way better, but you don't really know how to do it. Just know you're not doing a great job. See you, you know, next week. Uh, they're not going to feel inspired. They're going to probably feel discouraged, maybe annoyed. You're, you might not be welcomed back. Yeah. This is where the cornerstone becomes so important, which is Christ doesn't just give us a perfect example to follow. Uh, in, in today's gospel, so this is the 13th, uh, Christ says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the whole motif is that apart from him, we can do nothing. Yeah. With him, we can do everything because he works through us. Like the vine works through the branches and, and it empowers the branches, even though the branches are distinct in some way from the vine. Uh, so we're distinct in some way from Christ, 
but Christ is living in us. And when that happens, that changes the whole thing. Yeah. So I was asked uh, recently about this, this kind of question from a, a Protestant who was, who'd heard about the book was interested and, and said, you know, did this issue about it being kind of overwhelming. And he, he looked at the example of St. Paul, but St. Paul has the most inspiring line. Like he doesn't just get caught up on his own inadequacy, his own sinfulness and so on. But nor does he get like high and mighty off how great he is. Instead, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like he takes his eyes off of himself and he puts them on Christ because he knows that if Christ is living through him, he can do everything. That's a central idea in the book, that if you if you understand who Christ is mm -hmm. and then let that shape your identity, you're in right relation with God, in right relation with yourself in a real way, and in right relation to other people. And if you don't do that, some part of that right relationship is, is missing. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer about the new book on our Sunday Visitor Press, Who Am I, Lord? Finding Your Identity in Christ. So one of the things that... Um, that I see so often, and, and this brings that overwhelming feeling, uh, is uh, we we don't really define well what uh, what we're looking at as identity. We, we uh, and, and I kind of chalk it up to uh, we're out of practice focusing on transcendence, and maybe we don't even really know anymore what transcendence is. Uh, but you know, I, my kids are about the right age that they're starting to ask questions like, "How long is forever?" And, and so I, I start to answer um, in such a way that it will lead them to think about it so that they can, so I can watch their little gears spin and watch their brains break because it, it's something uh, immense to contemplate eternity, to contemplate forever and, and really uh, to contemplate who God is because God is infinite. Uh, and so, I think so often we make God in our own image. We have this smaller picture of God uh, as, um, and the smaller definition of what it means for God to be good. So uh, the the Santa Claus Jesus or the great judge God or whatever picture we have that's smaller than God actually is. And we create these uh, definitions of God and then we define ourselves based on that. Or even to take it a, a step further back, we define ourselves based on our own preferences, whether we're a sports guy or a music person or uh, whether we identify ourselves based on even being a husband and father or being uh, some some other identity that, that goes around in our culture. Uh, if we identify ourselves based on one of these things aspects of our life that is a part and maybe even a significant part of our life. Uh, but it's not transcendent enough for what our identity really is. And so we end up lessening who we are, lessening how we behave, because as, as you said, we don't know how to behave until we know who we are. Uh, we end up being less than we are called to be and end up being really not empowered to be who God is wanting us to be. Yeah. So there are there are so many things that could be given as examples of this. I'll tell on myself first. Uh, for me, it was it was being a seminarian. Uh, and I explained that in the intro to the book, that like one of the things that got me thinking deeply about this question of identity, you kind of alluded to this earlier in the interview, was I was in seminary for five years. I was convinced I was going to become a priest. And at the end of that journey, 
it became clear I wasn't called to ordination. It was hard, both because there was some sense of like, I, I have a very, um, I'm a kind of a striving personality. I don't like to give up on anything. Uh, I beat horses long after they're dead, uh, only metaphorically. Uh, and, and so like part of it's that, but part of it was also that it was this constitutive part of my identity. In that, if, if you had said, who are you? I would have said, I'm Joe Heschmeyer. I'm a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, everything but the first three words of that is no <laughs> longer true. And the first three words don't really tell you <laughs> a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking about that. There's there's a little more that goes into kind of what got me on that, that road. Uh, but I think we see this everywhere. So Francis Fukuyama talks about identity politics as being like the motif through which you can understand politics around the world right now, mm-hmm. that there are a lot of these appeals to group identity or your race or your ethnicity, your nationality, your gender, your sexual orientation, all of the, there's all of these ways in which politically we're dividing along these, these incidental demographic kind of characteristics. And we're trying in some sense to find a sense of identity individually and collectively through those things. Now, those things by themselves, it's not like those things don't matter necessarily, right. but they aren't primary. We're making these secondary, these tertiary things uh, far more important than they're meant to be. Uh, and so actually, Pope Pius XI has a really beautiful quote about this uh, from 1937, where it's the only papal encyclical ever written in German, and it's 1937, so you can probably guess who the target audience is. And he warns that whoever exalts race or the people or the state or a particular form of state or the depositories of power or any other fundamental value of human community, however necessary and honorable be their function in worldly things, whoever raises these things above their standard values and divinizes them to an idolatrous level, distorts and perverts an order of the world planned and created by God, is far from true faith in God and from the concept of life which that faith upholds. In other words, the warning was, back in 1937, the Pope saw what's going on in Germany is they're taking an incidental characteristic and making that the number one most important thing about who they are. And we see what kind of disastrous results followed from that. Most of us won't go off the tracks that far, thanks be to God. But in all sorts of ways, we can go off the tracks somewhat by failing to fully understand who we are, by not knowing where to find, uh, if you want to get nerdy, the locus of identity, like the location of where identity is. Mm -hmm. That central term that helps us understand who we are. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer about his new book, going to be out soon on our Sunday Visitor Press, Who Am I, Lord? Finding Your Identity in Christ. You can get it right now on ebook. Uh, The actual physical copy of the book's coming soon. When we come back, we're going to explore some of those practical topics. How do we avoid making the secondary thing into the primary? How can we, as they say, keep the main thing the main thing? Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Or if you're a Twitter person, the handle's at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere. There's a whole lot more coming right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking again. Thankfully, it's been too long. Uh, talking with Joe Heschmeyer. He uh, he blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. You can catch the podcast at cathpod.com, C-A-T-H-P-O-D, uh, cathpod.com. He's an instructor at the Holy Family School of Faith out there in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, and now you can add something else uh, to that that um, bio. You're an author on Our Sunday Visitor Press with a new book called Who Am I, Lord? Finding Your Identity in Christ. But truly right now, one of the most identifying characteristics is your new dad. It's true. <laughs> it's so, an exciting uh, part of my journey as, as living this vocation. Man, you know, every day is just a new adventure. It, it, it's amazing. Like, it seems like every day. Like, you know, they have the uh, the little calendar you can draw, like, new skills or new milestones. And mm-hmm. I just feel like daily there's stuff to add because it's like some new, you know, baby's first guacamole was today. Uh, <laughs> first avocado toast. Yeah, just truly, truly a child of our age. Exactly. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit. We mentioned this in the last segment. There is a danger in, in shrinking our identity, bringing a secondary or tertiary idea of who we are or preference or something, what we do, and making that the central locus of who we are. And then by virtue of that, if you've, um, if you've ever watched the movie in, uh, Inside Out, taking those core memories, those core ideas of who we are and and changing them. Uh, we can even see at one point in the movie where the internal characters try to get something secondary or, uh, and put it in the core memory section just to make sure that, to try and avert a disaster. And of course it, it doesn't work. Um, and it, it leads to, uh, to crisis, and anytime I think that we set our sights too small on our identity, it will inevitably lead us personally uh, or communally to crisis. And I think we've seen that, as you mentioned, uh, the, the, the importance or rather the, uh, the prevalence of identity politics. Uh, as we attempt to define ourselves into smaller and smaller groups based on uh, who we are or what we like, we end up seeing a complete loss of civility and community. Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's a good example of how it can go wrong. And again, I mean, so I'm I'm wanting to say we do this wrong in big ways and we do this wrong in small ways. Like maybe you're not a person who's inclined to say, I am most fundamentally my race. Maybe you're a person who's inclined to say, I'm most fundamentally this apostolate that I had to do for God. That's easier to fall into in a lot of ways. And it's true. It's less harmful, but it's still harmful. And I think we see this a lot. So as men, especially, uh, there's a long tradition of men identifying themselves with their occupation, with their job. If you think about a lot of the family names that exist, they're occupational surnames. And it makes things like retirement really hard. So I've, I've talked recently with a, a number of retirees or people who are on the verge of it. And I know guys who've delayed retiring because they, they don't know who they are apart from their work and apart from kind of that structure of life. And I think that's one of the one of the ways that this can go awry. So it looks a lot of different ways, but it, notice that it's it's really the same problem each time. We don't know what makes us most fully us, and so we reach for something that's inadequate for the job that it's needed for. Like we're putting something in that primary center, 
and it doesn't belong. And, and so we get hurt in big ways and in small. So if that's the case and having too small of a vision of who we are ends up doing damage to us and to those uh, in our immediate community, how do we um, define who we are? How do we, how do we look to God and say, okay, I'm supposed to find my identity in Christ, but the idea of who God is, is by virtue of him being God inscrutable. So now how do we take the inscrutable, that which cannot be really completely um, perceived and understood and, and base ourselves on it. And that's of course the first half of your book. So of course uh, I know that you've made the, the inscrutable uh, uh, per perpiscuity, perpiscuitous. Is that a word? Uh, it's close to a word. I think I made it up. Uh, I would say I haven't really done it. I'd say the incarnation has done it. That there's this sense in which the ineffable God takes on human form and becomes accessible to our senses. So St. Athanasius on the incarnation of the word talks about how there's basically there's these two things that we find. And, and on a neurological level, we can say Athanasius is right about this. On the one hand, uh, we have this desire for God, right? On the other hand, we are hardwired towards uh, things around us. We, we perceive everything through our senses and in a special way towards faces. So there's an entire part of the brain, for instance, that's just facial recognition. Like the reason you can look at a cloud and say it looks like Abraham Lincoln or it looks like whatever, you know, part of your face or part of, part of your brain is, is just dedicated to recognizing faces and far at a, a far level, like greater level of, of granularity and distinction, then you can recognize like two different trees or something like this. So in the incarnation, these two things that prior to this had gone in different directions, because we had this desire for God, we also have this desire for faces, and it's leading us into things like idolatry, where we make a God with a face. It's leading us into sin through these two very human impulses where the wires are getting crossed. Athanasius says, basically, God meets us halfway. Christ takes on a human body. He has a face. And so we can see visibly the invisible God. And so it gives us a visible center through which to worship. Okay, so why does that matter? Because it means that the inscrutable God, we can now understand in part and in a much greater sense. Colossians 1.15, uh, the way it describes it, is saying that Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know God, his full revelation, it's not scripture alone, it's not scripture plus tradition, his full revelation is Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the capital W word of God. And, and if you contemplate Christ, that's how you get to know God. I mean, this is what Jesus says at the Last Supper. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in contemplating Christ in, in these particular identities, we can then understand corresponding parts of our own identity. So for instance, I just mentioned, Christ is the image of the invisible God. We are made in the image of God. Those two ideas need each other in a certain sense to, to fully make sense. If, if you don't know Christ is the image of God, you have an incomplete understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. Conversely, uh, once you know that, you can start to say, okay, what's similar, what's different? about me being made in the image of God as opposed to Christ being the image of God. So I'm going to push on this a little bit because I think that this is important. Um, we, we have the revelation uh, 
written down for us. Uh, we, the scriptures are this record of revelation, and then we also have tradition, which gives us the apostolic, uh, the, the apostolic record of that revelation. Um, but, and this goes back to what St. Jerome said, that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. We, we have this picture of Jesus. How do we ensure, and in what way can we ensure that we have a broad enough and complex enough and rich enough picture of Jesus to be able to really have an informed sense of identity ourselves. Uh, St. Clair describes it as like gazing in a mirror, like basically spend more and more and more time in the presence of Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. And, and through that, two things will happen. You'll come to know Christ more. And by extension, you'll come to know yourself in a deeper and more accurate way. And there's no substitute for just doing it. You know, read scripture, pray. It's it's tried advice. Everyone's going to say it because it's what it's like to, you know, you talk to a dietitian and they say you need to diet and exercise. No one wants to hear it, but it's, that's what works. <laughs> you know, I, the, the, you're going to know precisely where the story comes from. And I forget which saint it was. It may have been John Vianney, uh, who... Uh, uh, an old farmer came in and sat down in the church uh, every day. Yeah, that's and, John and, and spent time there in in the church in front of the uh, the tabernacle, in front of the presence of Christ. And so St. John Vianney came in and he asked him, uh, what are you doing here every day? And the farmer of, uh, of low learning but infinite wisdom said, I sit here and look at him and he looks at me. Exactly. That's exactly it. And if you do that, if you take it seriously— that's the most critical thing. There's this great line in Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. And he said, I would sooner know mercy than know how to define it. Like I'd sooner experience it than be able to give like a doctoral dissertation on, you know, like that's the idea. Like we can talk about the importance of these aspects of Christ's identity. And I hope the book is a good uh, jumping off point and a good thing to pray on. But I'm pretty clear in the book, like if, if you do this without praying about it, you're not really like you're not really getting the book in a certain sense. You're you're scratching the surface because what Christ is offering to us, we can't get apart from him. That's I mean, that's the line we can keep coming back to apart from me. You can do nothing. If we're reading the Bible apart from him, if we're doing theology apart from him, we're getting nowhere, man. And so we need to do that in prayer. Good theology is on its knees, right? I tell you that that phrase just keeps coming back. I'm in in the process of reading the Father Jacques Philippe book, um, "Searching for and Maintaining Peace," which of course starts with that that phrase. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not some things, but nothing. And this includes uh, having a sense of who we are. Now, one of the things that I know is that uh, a lot of authors who per- pursue these deep thoughts and these deep topics, they do so because it's their growing edge and the place that they're deeply learning. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to assume just from our conversations in the past and what I know of you, that that's also the case with this book. So now that we have this picture and we've spent time and we're focusing on who Christ really is, uh, how does that inform then our own identity? And I want to ask that specifically in the way of how have you found that to inform your identity? It's really good. So in vocation, there are three senses of the term. Vocation comes from vocare to call. And when we talk about vocation, we almost always use it to mean the second sense, uh, the middle tier, 
and we ignore a tier higher and a tier lower. So it goes like this. The top of the pyramid is, or maybe the foundation of the pyramid would be more accurate. The first sense of vocation is that we are called by God to be saints. Mm -hmm. That is first and foremost. The second tier or the second sense is, is the particular way in terms of state of life. So you're called to be a priest or a religious or married or single or whatever. And, you know, that's your kind of, it's, it's part of your life. You don't wake up and decide, I'm going to be married today. It's something more permanent, something more lasting. Right. But the third tier of vocation is saying yes to the present moment. And that sense of vocation is what is God inviting me to do right now? And it, that's the part where like, I'm most resistant to God. Like, become a saint? Great. I want that. Be married? Great. I love it. Fatherhood? Great. Smile when I don't want to smile? Bite my tongue even when I know I'm right? No, thank you. Like, that is the part that I don't want to do at all. But having those three things kind of in order, saying, here's who Christ is. He made me. He made me for him. And if I can believe these things, like, Christ knows me more than I know myself. He loves me more than he loves more than I love myself. And, and more than like, like his plan is infinitely better than my plan, even in terms of just how it benefits me, like even selfishly. Yeah. Following Christ makes more sense than following myself. If I believe that, then I have to actually smile. I have to actually hold my tongue when I know I'm right or think I'm right, which those two things are very close together for me. Right. Like, <laughs> that's that's where the rubber really hits the road in my life where I can see like, okay, my vocation isn't just be married, but it's like be gentler than I would yeah. naturally be like, I'm someone who by disposition, I love the world of like rough and tumble apologetics mm -hmm. and like my wife and baby don't necessarily want to have like rough and tumble apologetics all the time. Uh, yeah. My baby in particular, terrible at apologetics. I love her, and, but she she doesn't know any any Bible verses yet, and not really great at rough and tumble either. <laughs> she she thinks she is. <laughs> the dangerous part. <laughs> We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. Please go take a look at this book. You can get it now on Amazon as an ebook, but very soon, and I would sec I would recommend this. Uh, you can get it on osv.com as a, as a paperback. Uh, hold it in your hands. A what's what's the word I'm looking for? A tangible resource, not just this ethereal thing out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, go and get this book. It's uh, who who am I, Lord? Finding your identity in Christ by uh, by the Indomitable. Joe Heschmeyer. Joe, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. If you missed any part of my conversation with Joe, you can find it archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Maybe you just want to share this. You know someone who would benefit from it. You can share it right there to your social media. Uh, and we would love for you to go take a look at that. Look through the archives. Maybe look at all of the times that Joe has appeared. See if there's one that sticks out to you that you want to go back and listen to again. And as always, if you can't get enough of Joe after you've gone through all the archives and listened to all 15 of these shows and you want more, well, have I got a deal for you? Because we have every week extra segments available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. And this week is no exception. In fact, this week is the opposite of an exception because Joe and I got a little carried away and talked for somewhere between 17 and 20 minutes. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, we got a little carried away after the fact and that extra segment is exclusive to those people 
who are part of our support community. They help keep us on the air. Uh, they ensure that I am able to, to take the time that's necessary to find the guests, interview it, uh, put the show together, do the production work, send it off where it needs to go. Uh, it takes a lot of time, and so I'm so grateful for that support community. Uh, if you want to be a part of that community, if you want to ensure that Outside the Walls continues uh, for a long time, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page, and for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of our extra segments. There are different tiers with other um, uh, other benefits as well. So take a look at those and consider becoming a part of our Patreon community. Let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library opening up, and we're turning now to the book of 1 John. Normally, I, I pull the readings both from Scripture and Church history, from somewhere in the near vicinity liturgically from where we currently are. Uh, but this week I asked Joe, hey, Joe, are there are a couple of Scriptures or, or passages that really would help drive home the, the conversation we've had about identity. And he said, yeah, there are. Let's take a look at these. So first we're going to go to 1 John uh, chapter 2, starting at 28 and going all the way through 3.3. And John says this, And now, children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame by him at his coming. If you consider that he is righteous, you also know that everyone who acts in righteousness is begotten by him. See what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure, as he is pure. That reading comes from the book of 1 John, and there are just a couple of things I want to point out. And we talked about this, I think, maybe even last week. This idea of remaining in God. What does it mean to remain? Uh, Specifically, that this is a very active word. It's not a passive word, as if we're just going to sit back and not do anything, and that's enough to remain. Uh, To remain in God is like pushing two magnets together uh, that that want to repel, right? It takes effort and energy to keep them together and to make them remain together. Or think of, uh, I, I have a kayak, and I like to go out, uh, and in in a river in the tide, uh, in the Puget Sound, and, and when I'm out there, uh, sometimes if the tide's coming in, or if I'm uh, if I'm wanting to go upstream, it takes effort to remain in the same place. And this is just the same way it is for us as we remain in Christ. That we can't remain in Him simply by being still. There has to be movement and intention and intensity in remaining in him, even as he grants us great rest and great peace when we remain in him, still it takes that effort and intention for us to do so. And this was uh, this stands out to me as well today. It says, um, remain in him so, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame by him at his coming. And as we were talking uh, today with Joe, this idea that... Um, the pictures that we have, maybe even of good things that we center our identity on, uh, when they are not the best thing, 
when they are not that central core of finding our identity in Christ, when he comes, we're going to be put to shame, not in a way that he looks at us and wags his finger, but we're going to see him as he is and recognize that's who I was made to be. I was made to be one with him and to reflect him and to uh, to embody him in this world, and I, and I didn't. I missed it. And so in that way, as we look at our identities that we have crafted for ourselves in the light of his glory, that's the moment that we are filled with shame not because he is uh, scolding us, but because we see the difference of what we could have been and should have been and the weak things that we have chosen for ourselves. Uh, Today's reading from Church History comes from a letter of St. Clair to Blessed Agnes of Prague. Happy indeed is she who is granted a place at the divine banquet, for she may cling with her inmost heart to him whose beauty eternally awes the blessed hosts of heaven, to him whose love inspires love, whose contemplation refreshes, whose generosity satisfies, whose gentleness delights, whose memory shines sweetly as the dawn, to him whose fragrance revives the dead and whose glorious vision will bless all the citizens of that heavenly Jerusalem. For his is the splendor of eternal glory, the brightness of eternal light, and the mirror without cloud. Queen and bride of Jesus Christ, look into that mirror daily and study well your reflection, that you may adorn yourself, mind and body, with an enveloping garment of every virtue, and thus find yourself attired in flowers and gowns, befitting the daughter and most chaste bride of the King on high. In this mirror, blessed poverty, holy humility, and ineffable love are also reflected. With the grace of God, the whole mirror will be your source of contemplation. Behold, I say, the birth of this mirror. Behold his poverty, even as he was laid in the manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. What wondrous humility! What marvelous poverty! The King of angels, the Lord of heaven and earth, resting in a manger. Look more deeply into the mirror and meditate on his humility, or simply on his poverty. Behold the many labors and sufferings he endured to redeem the human race. Then, in the depths of this very mirror, ponder his unspeakable love, which caused him to suffer on the wood of the cross and to endure the most shameful kind of death. The mirror himself, from his position on the cross, warned passerbys to weigh carefully this act, as he said, All of you who pass by this way, behold, and see if there is any sorrow like mine. Let us answer his cries and lamentations with one voice and one spirit. I will be mindful and remember, and my soul will be consumed within me. In this way, Queen of the King of Heaven, your love will burn with an even brighter flame. Consider also his indescribable delights, his unyielding riches and honors. 
and sigh for what is beyond your love and hearts content as you cry out. Draw me on. We will run after you in the perfume of your ointment, heavenly spouse. Let me run and not faint until you lead me into your wine cellar. Your left hand rests under my head. Your right arm joyfully embraces me, and you kiss me with the sweet kisses of your lips. As you rest in this state of contemplation, remember your poor mother and know that I have indelibly written your happy memory in my heart, for you are dearer to me than all the others. That reading comes from a letter of St. Clair to Blessed Agnes of Prague. And so that's our homework this week. One, to really identify what are those key terms that we would use to define ourselves, and how do we define those terms? Who are we, and can we really clarify that? Can we go beyond that quick definition and look for something more at the locus of our being? What is it? That makes us who we are. Second, spend time in prayer. Spend time before that mirror of contemplation. Spend time gazing at the person of Christ. If you're in a place where you're able to go and spend time before the Blessed Sacrament in adoration, I encourage you to do that. If you're unable to do that, pull out your Bible and spend 10 or 15 minutes reading and listening. Spend some time in silence and say, God, show me who it is that you want me to be. Don't come with your agenda or the thing that you want God to bless, but simply sit and gaze at God and ask for him to come and speak with you, to give you wisdom and consolation, understanding, and a new resolve to be the person that he's calling you to be, to find your identity in and through Christ, to remain in him and him in you, to remain in his love, and thereby find your true and deepest identity. Come over to social media and say hi to me. Um, Tell me a little bit about who it is that you are. What have you learned about yourself through this quarantine? Maybe come over and join me for morning prayer every morning at 6 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Central, or Join me for Compline at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Central, right there on Facebook Live. Just go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Uh, there's also a link each day from Twitter. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Come and join me for conversation as we get to know one another, as we support one another in prayer uh, as members of the body of Christ. And lastly, go find Joe Heschmeyer. You can find him over at shamelesspopery.com, cathpod.com, or go find his new book on osv.com, our Sunday visitor, called Who Am I, Lord? Finding Your Identity in Christ. That's all the time we have for today's show. Come find us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Today's show was brought to you by Joe Roberts and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link to join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.